Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. I've heard that it has been said that sometimes God just doesn't answer our prayers. I actually disagree with this because the reality is sometimes his answer is yes, but other times it's no, and most often it seems that his answer is wait. Today we will look at the next story in Jesus' entrance into our world as he's presented at the temple. Thanks for joining us today as we seek to answer the question of how we should live while we are waiting for God. Well, good morning. Um, It is uh, the time of year where we celebrate uh, the coming of our Lord. And yet as a child, I found that this was the hardest time to wait for. It was this and it was your birthday. Those were the two hardest days to wait for. Uh, But what I have found uh, as you give examination over our lives is that we actually spend quite a bit of time waiting. I really appreciate it out of the mouths of babes this morning, right? What is it hard to wait for? Yeah, the charging of your tablets, right? Well, why? Why? Because I want to play. That's why. Well, as adults, you think we would grow beyond that kind of uh, uh, vanity, but it ain't true, right? How about uh, how many folks here wait for vacation time, right? Why? Because you want to play. We spend a lot of our lives, a lot of our time waiting. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not sure that we always do it well. Uh, Some people, um, like when I was younger, they'd wait for Christmas. Um, Other people, it takes nine months to grow a baby, right? There's a lot of anticipation, a lot of waiting that has to happen. Right, Chelsea? Amen right there. Uh, Healing. Sometimes it's hurting and sickness, and, and, and we're just waiting. Uh, sometimes it's for that phone call from a loved one, uh, from a friend, and, and, and you're waiting to hear, right? And you, you, you keep the phone nearby and make sure the ringer is turned on because you're waiting. Uh, we wait. As Christians, we need to learn how to wait because that's where we exist currently. Right now, you and I live in a time period where guess what your predominant action is? Hurry up and wait. That's it. We are waiting. I, I was sitting at my desk uh, reading through the scriptures and I, I glanced over at a little plant that I have sitting on my windowsill. And uh, it's one of these, uh, it's a unique plant that op- opens up its, um, open up, it, not petals, but the, the leaves kind of open up to receive uh, the sunlight because that's where its nourishment comes from. And in the evening, it, it, closes, up, uh, it closes up its leaves, but it's constantly leaning towards the window. Uh, I, I found that interesting, looking at this plan. It, doesn't, it does not stand straight up. It leans, almost like it's yearning. It's just waiting for the sun to come out again. It's just looking with anticipation for when darkness will be over and the light will shine once again. And I love that. It, it, it's, a, it's, for me, a beautiful picture. It's a metaphor of how you and I ought to spend our time during this season of waiting. Uh, that we're not distracted, we're not caught up with the things that would cause our attention to be drawn away from God into the world, but instead, we like that plant are arching and looking for the return of our King, waiting and preparing our lives for that moment when the light pierces through the darkness and our Lord once again returns. We're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of Luke, and if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me now. Uh, we've concluded the narrative of the birth of Jesus with Mary and Joseph, and we're going to continue into chapter 2 now. 
And what we're going to discover today are two new characters who have, for the majority of their lives, been waiting. That's the story of their lives, is waiting. Uh, Recognizing that there is something, there's a hope, there, there is a goal, there's something that they're waiting and looking for. And the fulfillment and the achievement of it is yet to be seen. Uh, The beautiful passage that we have today is found in Luke chapter 2. As we read through it, we're going to find concluding today three simple points of conclusion that we can take away from this and two uh, points of application for how we can integrate God's word into our lives today. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. Luke records for us, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves, two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was, what's your Bible say? Waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. It's a pretty cool story of how Luke accounts uh, for these two individuals who for the uh, majority, the extent of their lives, uh, were spent waiting for what God had promised to become fulfilled. 
Uh, Luke does this and he weaves this into, into the narrative uh, to cause the reader to see two things. The first is seeing that God will keep his promises. And secondly, the prophecy that comes from Simeon is one, recognizing that Jesus' purpose on earth will be to be a light to a certain group of people. A group of people that you and I identify with. We're called Gentiles. Such that the program of God moves beyond the comfort zone of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to all people. That's the purpose of Jesus, to all people. There's a few things I'd like to draw your attention to as we look through this. Uh, verse 25, if you go back there with me, it's, uh, it's found here in the context of uh, the ritual circumcision of Jesus, because that's what you did. I mean, if you were a Jewish person, you have a little baby, this is what you do. Uh, you go through these motions in, uh, in obedience to God. In verse 25, uh, we find Simeon, uh, and we find him waiting. Uh, there's two things that are shown about Simeon. The first is what he's waiting for. Your Bible might say the word consolation of Israel. That's uh, a word that we don't use too often today. It, it, it has with it the meaning of uh, restoration. You ever see those shows on uh, like A&E or the History Channel, Discovery Channel, where they're fixing up broken stuff? Um, I, I remember seeing a picture recently of a table that was bought at a, uh, like a, a, a thrift store. One of those old garage sale tables, just beat to pieces. You know, the tops got all these nicks and dents in it. And there was a before picture, and then it was in the hands of the, the craftsman, right in the hands of uh, the woodworker. And it's got this sheen and this polish, and it looks brand new. It's amazing. That's this word, consolation. It means restoration. It means being brought back to its fullness and its purpose. Um, as he's waiting for this, however, it's not until he sees the Christ child that the Spirit reveals to him the true manner of this restoration. Which he says for us further on in the story, if you uh, look at me in verse 32, uh, or 31 and 32, as he says he's seen his salvation, uh, which he's prepared in the sight of how many people? What's it say? All people. That God's plan for restoring his purpose is beyond the scope of the comfort of the people of Israel. It's to all people. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So that's what he's waiting for. That's Simeon. That's what he's waiting for. Uh, there's another thing I want you to notice as he's waiting. And this is back again in verse 25. It says uh, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Uh, by virtue of this, we see uh, that the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Verse 26, what does the Spirit say? You won't die until what? Until you have seen the Lord's Christ. Now this would be a little bit better translated if we understood the significance of that word. Christ is a Greek word that comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, the Hebrew word is one that I know you're familiar with. It's called Messiah or Messiah as we say in English. Uh, now Messiah is still a word that we have heard but we probably don't know what it means. Uh, it means simply this, the anointed one. The anointed one. Almost in a sense, the chosen one. God's anointed. That's who is revealed to Simeon that he's waiting for. You won't die until you see the one who the Lord has anointed. And that's Jesus. And then lastly, look how the Spirit works in his life. Verse 27, it says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. We, we, we read over it too quickly. What, what do you think that was like? Here's this old dude just waiting in the temple, just 
all the time, day after day, waiting for the Messiah. Now, the temple's a very busy place. You got all these offerings being made, you got people coming and going, the hustle and bustle of the city, the primary centerpiece of the, uh, of the nation of Israel. And somehow, Simeon moves over to Mary and Joseph. Our Bible says he was moved by the, by the Spirit. He was moved by the Spirit. It's, it's important for us to recognize that in the nature of this man as he's waiting, he's not doing so with his feet, on the, uh, feet up on the sofa. Right? He, he's not doing so in a way, oh, I'm just waiting to be done, waiting, punch the clock, five o'clock, just got to get through the day. That's not how he's waiting. If you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit, you're going to be finding yourself in tune with the Holy Spirit. We, we, we move too fast over this passage, not recognizing that the implication of Simeon's ability to be moved by the Spirit is his devotion to the Spirit of God. He's listening. Now, <clears throat> I don't want you to just take my word for it. We can see this in the text. If you look back in verse 25, what are the two characteristics that Luke gives us to, de- to describe Simeon? Do you see it? There it is. Righteous and devout. So this man who is listening to the Spirit is now moved by the Spirit. All within the context of a guy who is what? Waiting. That's what he's doing. He's waiting. I know what I'm waiting for, but I don't know when I'm going to see it. But I'm still going to keep waiting. I'm not going to waste my time while I'm waiting. Oh, I'm not going to just turn, flip the radio on. I'm not going to, you know, uh, this is how, you know, most, right? We go at the you got to watch it sometime. Next time you're out in public and people are waiting, watch how many aren't on their devices. Every one of them is on their devices. I don't know if that's fair. Simeon probably didn't have an iPhone. Right? That's probably not fair. <laughs> I bet he had something else though, that he could have given his time to, could have given his distraction to. He could, he could have <clears throat> lent himself to waste his time, but he didn't. He was moved by the Spirit because he was in tune with the Spirit, a righteous and a devout man. A few, few other things I want you to recognize. Uh, let's look at Anna, verse 36 and 37. Um, who thinks that she had the life that she always planned? She uh, says that she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage. And then she was a widow until 84. The majority of her life was spent as one who's no longer in, in fellowship with her, with her uh, beloved. I doubt that was part of her plan in life. But here is Anna, another one described in very similar manner as Simeon. Righteous and devout, waiting and watching. And she too here is moved uh, to declare and give thanks and speak to all about this child, about this baby, about this Messiah who has come. I want you to see her response in verse 38 as she comes up to the family with the young child here who, who, you know, in terms of what's happening in Jerusalem is just another kid. That's essentially what it is. It's just another, um, uh, you know, like in in the NICU. I mean, these are the temple priests are professionals. All right, in the same way that you would find in the hospital, we got babies coming in and out every day. We know what we're doing. That's the case here for Jesus. There there was this kind of uh, just... Another day, but not for Anna. Verse 38 says that when she saw him, she gave thanks to who? Do you see it? She gives thanks to God. 
Look back in verse 28. What does Simeon do? Simeon took him in his arms and praised what? Praised God. See the source and the object of our devotion during the season of waiting? It's giving thanks to God. It's praising God. That's the response of these two. The sermon is just very simply titled, Waiting on God. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what 2017 meant for you. And I'm not sure what your hopes and dreams in 2018 are. But I guarantee you it's going to include this lesson. If you're not presently waiting, you should be or will be. And I want us to take away a few lessons that we can see from this story. Firstly is this. As we look to Simeon and to Anna, the promise that is given is that God will fix what is broken. That really deserves a resounding amen, so I'm going to try that again. Ready? God will fix what is broken. Amen. Amen. He will fix it. It doesn't always happen in our timing, nor in the manner that we think it will. I want to share with you probably one of my absolute favorite passages in the Word of God. Uh, it comes towards the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5 say this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. No more crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Jesus says, Behold, I am making everything new. Awesome, right? Everything will be made new. I uh, was a little foolish when I was younger. Uh, if you see my boy running around the church, yeah, I was a lot like that when I was little, right? Uh, just a lot of energy, didn't always think uh, before he leapt. And uh, the consequence of that uh, as a young person that played pretty hard on the basketball court is my lower back is always killing me. Anyone with me there? Any amens this morning? Just like, anytime I got to bend over, right? And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tiny little reminder that things aren't as they should be. That's a tiny little reminder that there needs to be uh, some fixing that happens. I've seen a chiropractor. I know you'll tell me after service, go see a chiropractor. I've, I've tried that. Uh, I bet that you can imagine or think of the ways in which your own life isn't um, meeting the standards that you would want. Anything you want fixed? Anybody? Anything you want fixed? Yeah. Look at what it says here. Behold, I'm making everything new. That's what Jesus says. That's the promise that's given to us. God will fix what's broken. He will fix what is broken. The second conclusion, however, is that God's fix isn't always what we would expect. It isn't always what we would expect. In the story of Simeon, and Anna, uh, both of them were old. Very old. In fact, it seems to be a common theme within the Scripture. As you look at the characters uh, that God brings into the story of redemption for all people, they tend to have to wait. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Remember that story? You're, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> wow. You, you sure could have come a lot sooner because we're uh, you know, a little bit old. And then even then it took a decade for them to have a baby. And there, there's this time period and there's this waiting that happens in their lives where the yearning is, come on, let's get on with this. Even Abraham kind of and Sarah mess up in that fashion. You remember Sarah saying, look, this, this is, this is, we're running out of time here. Uh, my my maidservant is going to help us. And she tries to come up with a plan B for God's promise. 
What about you? Do you believe that he's going to keep his word? Do you believe that he'll fix what's broken? How much is your hope running out? How much is it like sand just slipping through your fingers and, and you start to think, I need to maybe come up with a plan B? I want to encourage you, pay attention to this second conclusion. Because not only will God fix what is broken, but many times his repair job doesn't look the way we would think. Simeon and Anna were both very old in age. Not only that, but I want you to see that the promise that becomes given to them is one that extends outside of their comfort zone. God's going to save the Gentiles. Say, what? The Gentiles? You, you might... I'm not sure I hold the whole, heard the Holy Spirit right on that. He must not know these Gentiles. They're wicked people. Terrible. They're nothing like us. Righteous people. Right? Who wear the proper clothes and say the proper things and smile the proper way. These Gentiles... You guys get it, right? You understand that there are people different from us, outside of our comfort zone, that God is equally caring about as he cares about you. That moves beyond what they thought it was going to be. Uh, last thing I want you to see, according to this, is seen uh, in what Simeon says to Mary. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. So he turns to Jesus' mommy and says, This child's destined to cause... The falling and rising of many in Israel? Back up, Simeon. I don't like that part. The falling and rising? How about just the rising and not the falling? He continues, though. It's to be a sign that will be spoken against. I'm not sure Joseph was listening in at this point, but if it was me and some guy was speaking to my wife about my child, I might be, hey, who who do you think you are saying these things? That my child's going to be spoken against? Look, you keep that to yourself. In other churches, they would say, I reject that. Right? I reject that. He continues. Look. That the thoughts and the hearts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. I think that that's probably where Joseph stepped in and was like, we need to leave. It's getting late, right? We got to go. I don't, <clears throat> that may not be true, but what you need to recognize is that Simeon here is speaking as the Holy Spirit is leading him, prophesying about the Christ child, that the repair job for mankind... <sighs> I, I love my kids. Do you love your kids? I love them. I'm going to do, I'll lay down my life to protect them. God so loved the world, he gave his son to die for the world. Your redemption, your salvation, singularly predicated upon the death of the sinless Messiah. Don't, don't you think it... God could have done it a different way. That's a problem, you know, in some people that have faith. They, they, they end up getting to a place where they think, I, I can't believe in God because that doesn't sound like what I would do. Why can't God just fix it like that? I mean, he's God, for goodness sakes, right? Can't he just snap his fingers and do away with sin? Well, let me just uh, teach on this for just a moment. Uh, one thing that we recognize is, is that there are many things God can't do. Did you know that? There are many things God can't do. He can't sin. He can't. He can't lie. Can God lie? 
Come on, choir, can God lie? No. <clears throat> so you know what he says in his word? He says that the penalty of sin is what? Death. Is death. That's the penalty of sin. So unless God keeps his word, Jesus has to die to satisfy the penalty for your sin, for my sin. Had to die. Boy, I, I don't know if I would have fixed it that way, God. I don't know if I would have done it that way. Listen, this is going to be true in your life as well. Whatever it is you're facing currently, whatever it is 2018 is going to hold for you. Number one, God's going to fix what's broken. Number two, the fix might not look the way that you think it will. I know the trajectory of my life has really done a woo. I mean, I did not expect uh, living here in the UP in Segola. I did not expect this, right? I was in the Bahamas. <laughs> look, his fix doesn't look the way, it doesn't look the way we think sometimes. If you're listening, though, if you're following after the Spirit of God, He will move you where you're supposed to be. He will lead you where you're supposed to go. He will show you who you need to love. And it might be different from what you think, but it will be the fix that God wants. All right, finally and lastly is this. God will reveal His answer to those who wait on Him. <clears throat> he will reveal where the direction of his purpose uh, goes <clears throat> to those who are waiting. Verse 26, the promise given to Simeon is that you will not die until you see the Christ. Verse 27, he's moved by the Spirit because he's waiting. Anna, in verse 37, she's very old, 80, 84 years old. She never leaves the temple. Anna, you probably it's going to be cold tonight. You should probably go home. Anna, don't you think you need to go visit family sometime? What's, what's Anna doing? She's never leaving. She's never leaving because she's what? She's waiting. She's waiting. God will reveal to you and I. He will. It's a difficult thing because we, we want to we see the light, right? We're, we're like the plant. We're, we're yearning to see the light. We're waiting for the, for the iPad to finish charging, right? We're, we're waiting. We want the resolution to come. God will reveal it. But he won't if you give up. He will if you continue to wait. So I want to leave you with these two thoughts today. That as we, uh, as we live as those who need to wait. And you'll find in your sermon notes there. Psalm 130 in the Old Testament. Our reading today. In fact there's even more there. If you, would, <laughs> if you have a chance to turn back to Psalm 130. You'll notice that at the beginning, the psalmist says, I cry out to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry out. And maybe you've been there. Maybe that's where you are today. Is I just am in the depths and I cry out. Verse 5 says this. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. That's the plant. Right? Because the watchman is just nighttime is... I mean, that's the danger time, right? When the sun rises, my job's, whew, it's over, right? They're waiting for the sun to rise. That plan is waiting for morning to come. The psalmist here who cries out to God says, I wait for God more than that. I wait more. Verse 7 says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. That's what Simeon is waiting for. That's the same word there. Consolation, restoration, redemption. 
You have anything in your life that needs renovation, redemption, repair, restoration? Yeah, you do. If you're still in Psalm 130, though, I want you to notice something. What's the primary theme? I have it underlined. What is it? It's waiting, right? But there's something else that sneaks its way in. It's repeated twice. It's a beautiful word. It's the word hope. Look in your Bibles. If you have the Psalm 130, look for the word hope. Because as you wait, what is it that you're to be doing? Verse 5 says what? It's up here. I put my hope where? In his word, I put my hope. And verse 6 says what? Oh, Israel, put your hope where? Put it in the Lord. Our New Testament reading out of Romans chapter 8, as Paul recognizes that the promise of God is a full restoration of us. Resurrection bodies, just like Jesus Christ. And yet he says, we're groaning. All creation is currently groaning. Eagerly awaiting, there it is, waiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And he says these words, in this hope we are saved. For who hopes for what he already has? If the iPad's charged, I'm not hoping for it to charge. I have it, right? If vacation is here, I'm not hoping to go on vacation. It's here. But he says, we're saved in hope. For who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for it, we wait patiently. What is God having you wait on today? What is broken in your life that needs to be fixed? I want to leave you with these two ideas. The first is this. Remain watchful. Don't give up. That was Simeon. That was Anna. They were remaining faithful. They were, they were remaining watchful. The Apostle Peter, as he writes his letter to the church, he says, hey, stay alert. Stay alert. That's what he says. Because these days you live in are evil. You know, you know what? Uh, defunct Christianity looks like? It looks like a bunch of sleepy Christians. That's what it looks like. That, that will uh, cause disparaging to the name and reputation of our Lord. That's not what we should be doing. We need to stay alert. Anybody of you drive over the holidays? Yeah, any, any long trips? I don't know if you're a little bit like me, but you start to get, whoo, I've got to wake up a little bit, right? That road gets a little monotonous as you're driving. What would happen if I were to just, let me just doze off for just a minute, just a minute. What would happen? Yeah, disaster would happen, right? Yeah, so why do we stay alert while we're driving? Because there's danger all around us. Church, there is danger all around you. All around you. It's finding its way into your home through the television, through the computer, through the radio. It's on the street across the road. It's downtown at the shopping mall. There is danger everywhere. And I'm not talking bears or wolves. I'm talking the way in which the devil wants to deceive you and pull you away from the singular love of your Savior. To give you a disguised love and to trick us into thinking there's something greater. There's nothing greater. Put your hope in His Word. Put your hope in the Lord. That's, that's where we live today as we wait. And so stay alert. Stay watchful. Wake up. That was Simeon. That was Anna. They were watching. They saw Jesus. And they made their way into Luke's gospel because of their vigilance while they were waiting. Second thing is this. Not only stay watchful, but remain devout. Remain devout. That, that's, the, that's the term that characterized Simeon. Do you remember? Righteous and devout. Well, what's that mean? Remain devout. It's a funny word. 
the challenge here is to find that you occupy yourself with the things of God. That's what this word means. Occupy yourself with the things of God. Look, Bible study starts at 9 a.m. Wednesday. I'm going to be here. All right? If that doesn't work for you, I'll be here again at 7 p.m. If that don't work for you, call me. I will come to your house. Or we'll set up another time. Because you know what you need to be doing in this season of waiting? You need to remain devout. You need to occupy yourself with the things that train us to listen to the Spirit. And to to find His direction and His leading. There is no... There's no end to the degree which I would encourage the Christian to chase after Christ. Do you have opportunities? Take them. you you got better things you could be listening to on the radio, like some of these really great preachers that we have piped right into our cars and into our homes. Look, turn off the country music and listen to them. Engage your mind. Engage your heart with the Word of God. You got to get out of bed early to read the Bible, or you could sleep in. Oh. <laughs> get up early, right? But I can't, you don't know me. I'm just not a more. Yeah, you know why? Because you don't go to bed early enough. Go to bed earlier. Get up earlier. Here's the de- here, here's the deal. Do you wait for God more than the watchman waits for the dawn? Do you? I don't know if you do. <laughs> Psalmist did. I want you to. My plant sitting on my window still will not sit up straight. It waits for the sun. It's looking for every opportunity. Just, I mean, it's a tiny little plant. Like, it can't move. It don't have legs. It's doing all it can to get to the light. What about you? Are, are you doing all you can? Are you remaining devout? Do you have opportunity? Take it. Last thing I just want to leave you with as we end this morning. I was cutting a tree down the other day. And uh, as I cut through, I was, count- I was counting the rings on it. And one of the things that I noticed is that as you got to this, uh, the rings on a tree. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You all cut down a tree. Um, <clears throat> that some spaces the rings were really tight together. And in other places they were really spread apart. And in those places where the wood is spread apart, and I've seen this as, as we uh, mill wood and cut boards up, that that's the really soft tissue of the wood. Like when, when the rings are spread apart, the wood's kind of soft. You can actually press into it sometimes on uh, some softer woods. Uh, it'll dent very easy. But where the rings are tight together, the wood is hard and strong. Now here's the interesting thing. That if you know anything about how a tree grows, uh, it's, it's growing season. If it's really healthy and there's a lot of sunshine and there's a lot of water, it's going to grow a lot. And the rings will be stretched far apart, right? But if instead it's kind of a tough growing season, there's just not a lot of water, maybe a bit of a drought, the tree doesn't grow that much, but those rings stay close together and the tree remains strong. The metaphor I want to show you is that if you right now are in a season of waiting, I want you to know that God is allowing you to go through it for your strengthening. God is allowing you to go through a time where you're not seeing growth like you want. Things may not be like you want, but that's not because he's left you. It's because he's growing you strong. He's growing you strong. Look, when life is easy, we kick up our feet and we get fat and slow and lazy, right? Anybody? Give me, don't leave me up here, right? That's what we do. Pass the Christmas cookies, right? That's, yeah, but then when life is hard, what do you do? When life is hard, 
You find yourself on your knees praying. You find yourself searching for hope in God's word, right? You find yourself reaching out to people. When you're waiting, and if you're in a season of waiting, I want you to know this, that even in the drought, God is not silent. God is still growing you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning.